episode 50 of the State of the Old Republic podcast, was originally recorded on August 14th, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, Game Update 5.4 goes live on August 22nd. I'll recap some of the features coming in this latest patch. Also this week, could we finally get Darth Hexed as a companion? Charles Boyd answers that question on the forums. Finally this week, I'll review the state of the Dark vs. Light system introduced in 5.0. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 50 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have a terrific show lined up for you today. As always, let's review some announcements for the Old Republic. First up, a little housekeeping news. I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, so episode 51 will happen on September 5th. After that, I should be back on a regular schedule for a while. The Summer Swotor is entering its final few weeks. The Narshadal Nightlife event ends next week. The Greedy Hut Casino bosses have filled their coffers with your credits and are ready to head off to one of the many Hut Pleasure Worlds. Be sure to go out and get some more decos for your Manan Retreat and for your soon-to-be Umbara Stronghold. And remember, the vendor that sells the event items is always around, so don't worry about spending your certificates. You can do that anytime. What you don't want is to have the event end while you're holding on to a pile of smuggler and kingpin chips, so spend them before it's too late. And that's it. There are no other in-game events on the horizon right now, so let's slice the holonet and review the news this week. First up, Game Update 5.4 Crisis on Dumbara goes live next week on August 22nd, and here's a recap of some of the features coming in 5.4. There are new companion customizations. Uh, Senya can now have her weapons and armor customized. Also, Lana, Koth, and Senya's hairstyles will be available for purchase to customize your character. Uh, Another quality of life change coming is that companions can now be summoned while moving, which I think that's actually kind of a nice change. There's a new feature on the in-game preference screen that has been added for higher graphic settings to improve the realism of contrast and shadows. There are class balance changes, and they haven't released the details of all of them yet. In fact, only two of them uh, have been released, and you know we're, we're a week out here, so I don't know if they'll actually get to all of them before the game goes live. We'll have to wait and see. But here are the disciplines getting changed. There's lethality slash ruffian, and they've been nerfed slightly. Uh, concealment slash scrapper, no details on them yet. Medicine slash sawbones, no details on them yet. Fury slash Concentration, they've been buffed slightly. And then Carnage slash Combat, no details on them either. Season 8 will be coming to an end. They've posted the rewards. You can head to the official SWOTOR site to read all about those. They are making changes to the daily and weekly mission rewards for PvP with the intent of substantially improving unassembled component gain for players who complete both ranked and unranked missions. 
And what they're doing is they're increasing the amount of unassembled components earned from ranked PvP missions. And these are pretty substantial changes. Uh, changing, they're also changing the unassembled component rewards for unranked missions. However, you will continue to earn the same number of unassembled components as you were, but the weekly will grant more and the daily will grant less. That way you're punished less if you don't PvP every day and complete the daily every day. Bolster in PvP is being increased to 242. And then, of course, we've got the Crisis on Umbara, which is the story. And the story will continue any new Flashpoint coming on the planet of Umbara. The Flashpoint will launch with all three difficulties, Story, Veteran, and Master. And for Umbara's Master Mode, they are going to try something new. And it's something that they may adapt to future or, or existing Master Mode Flashpoints if it works out. And specifically, they said, a player will need to have an average gear rating of 242 to use Group Binder. They won't prevent pre-made groups from going in directly, but this will prevent undergeared players from slowing down your group. And they're adding a new average rating identifier on each character, on the character window, which will be based on the items that you have equipped. So just be on the lookout for that. And again, that only applies if you want to use Group Binder to queue for Master Mode Umbara Flashpoint, and you will need to have a gear rating of 242. Uh, there is a new stronghold coming, the Umbara Stronghold, and they said this is the most unique stronghold yet, as you will be able to decorate your own moving train. Now, I haven't seen any videos or images of the interior of the stronghold, but there is a teaser video for the Crisis on Umbara, which does give you an exterior view of the moving train, and it does indeed look to be the most unique stronghold that we have seen to date, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, unlike previous strongholds, you actually need to complete the Flashpoint a few times in order to gain access to the stronghold, and I believe right now the numbers are you'll have to run, do 10 solo runs, six vet or six veteran runs, or three master mode runs, and this will allow you to buy a stronghold key, which I believe will allow you to purchase the stronghold for a reduced price, you know, fewer credits and fewer cartel coins. I'm looking forward to the new stronghold, but I'm kind of hoping that it's on the smaller side because I am running out of decorations. I put a lot of work into Manon and it's not even 100% done and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do there and there's more that I want to do on Yavin 4. But back to Umbara, I'm just kind of low on decorations. And it's one of those things that's a problem, but it's not really a problem. The solution, of course, is to acquire the decorations that I want. But some of those decorations were a pain to get. Some were expensive, some were crafted, and acquiring more just feels like a grind. So I, I, I don't know. My Umbara stronghold might end up being named the Meat Tree slash Masasi Totem Express. All aboard, everyone. All right. Well, I did want to talk a bit about the Iocath story. Now, regarding the story, I'm not going to get too deep into the story right now, but depending on how it all goes, I'll probably talk about it on episode 51. That'll be almost two weeks after 5.4 has been live, by the way. I will say this, though. The story on Iocath ended with a cliffhanger, and apparently there is a traitor in our midst, and Crisis on Umbara promises to reveal who that traitor is. There is data-mined information out there that reveals everything. I have not looked at it. I like the stories in Star Wars The Old Republic, and I like to stay spoiler-free. That said, 
Not everyone feels as I do, and plenty of people have gone ahead and read the information and reacted to it. As such, even though I haven't seen anyone reveal names or specific plot points, I still feel like I have enough information in my pocket to infer what's going to happen. To everyone out there that has read the data mind information, be mindful of what you write and say and reveal. What may seem innocuous to you may be more revealing than you know. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Let's say the story involves kittens, puppies, and hamsters. And we know from having played the story, one of these three is going to betray us. Now let's say that you go and read the data mind information and post your reaction to it. And you make no mention of kittens, puppies, and hamsters. What you do mention is how you feel about what you read. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're happy. Maybe it made you cry. And while that may seem vague, the problem is there is team kitten, team puppy, and team hamster. And while you may not have realized there was team kitten and team puppy and team hamster, there's a team kitten, a team puppy, and a team hamster. And everyone who follows you knows that you're on Team Kitten. If the day ends in Y, you're posting screenshots of your character and kittens. Ergo, even though you didn't say anything about kittens, puppies, and hamsters, your reaction combined with the knowledge that you're on Team Kitten lets everybody know that the traitors are kittens. So if you've read the data mind information and you don't want to be someone who spoils the story, but you feel compelled to comment on it, just triple check that what you're posting doesn't give anything away. And if you're someone who doesn't want to be spoiled, just be careful of your online activities. It can be hard to control what flows through your various timelines. In addition to social media, be careful in-game. What I've been doing lately is just turning off general chat as I do things. I've got a custom tab that has guild, ops, group information, and then also system information such as loot and dialogue. I don't hide the chat window. I customize it to only show the information I want to see. If you want to stay spoiler free, especially on the day it's released, that is definitely something you should do. So stay safe and spoiler free and enjoy Crisis on Umbara, which goes live August 22nd. I want to stick with story for a moment. I decided to level up a new bounty hunter on a new server, and every once in a while I like to have a character that does everything story-wise, or at least most everything. And I've gotten some comments from listeners who are new to the game. They're new players. And I feel everyone who plays the game should at least go through all of the quests or missions one time. Everyone should have the experience of doing all the missions on a planet, heading to the starport, more than ready to leave whatever rock you're on, only to get stopped by a mission giver with more missions to do. Everyone should know what it's like to get saddled with a bonus series or 10. Beyond that, there are some good stories out there outside of the class stories and the expansion stories like McKeb and Revan. And there are even some fun side quests like Captain Jilg on Droman Kos, the paranoid Imperial officer who killed his men for reasons. And many are now categorized as exploration missions and are turned off by default. So if you want to complete everything, then when you create a new character, you should open up your world map and look for an option called exploration missions and make sure you check the box to turn them on. You'll recognize these missions out in the field because they have the standard mission triangle with a little asterisk next to them. One thing to keep in mind is there is a chronology to all of this. 
And because you level so fast, especially with the exploration missions turned on, it's easy to get out of sync, which is to say missions will become available to you based on your level, which is way ahead of where you are in the overall story. So some things I recommend are this. When you're on a planet, take all of the missions, including the heroics. The heroics are great because they grant uh, terrific XP, and they are a good source of relics, implants, and earpieces. Do the bonus series if a planet has one. One thing to note is some bonus series you get right as you're ready to leave the planet, and others come a little bit later. You should at least do the main story flashpoints, and I strongly recommend that you do them in order, so to speak. So this means doing Black Talon and the Esselus after you complete your starter planet. It means, it means doing Terrell 5 for the Republic and Boarding Party for the Emperor after you complete Alderaan. It means doing Maelstrom Prison after you do Balmora on the Republic side and doing the Foundry after you've done Terrace on the Empire side. You should do Directive 7 after you've done Voss and then the Battle of Ilum and the False Emperor as part of the Ilum storyline which starts as soon as you've finished your class story. I also recommend that you do the HK-51 companion quest, which is part of Section X when you get to that point. And I also recommend that you try and do the Seeker quests and the Macro Binoculars quests, which were part of the McKeb expansion. Now, I haven't done those in a long time, but I do believe that the one or both of those requires you to find a group. Like there's parts of them that you can do solo, and then there are parts of them that are going to require, I think, at least a group of two, if not a group of four. And unless you're in a guild or, or have a group of friends that want to do it, you might actually have some trouble finding a group to actually want to do those uh, shroud quests, as I call them, the, the, the macro binoculars in the seeker quest. But you can always go to the fleet or ask your guildmates or friends and give them a go, but I think you should do those at least one time. There's plenty of information out there which has the chronology for all of the stories and flashpoints, and prior to 4.0, it flowed better because you didn't out-level everything, but now if you're trying to do things in this chronological order, you can get out of sync very, very quickly. So I'll put a link in, in the show notes to one of the sites that has a very nice visual guide of the whole story chronology. But the bottom line is this. I think everyone should take at least one character on the Empire and one character on the Republic through all of the stories the game has to offer and preferably in chronological order. It's fun and it's good background to have as you move through future stories in the game. Okay, so that last topic was predicated on my starting a new bounty hunter. But I also recently leveled up a Sith Assassin. She is now level 70 and I'm trudging through Galactic Command with her. I know that Hatred Assassins were buffed in 5.3, but I'm currently playing as Deception. I'm talking about this because I'm just not a big fan of melee classes in this game, and it's for a variety of reasons such as complexity of rotation and proximity to targets. If you're looking for a reason to hate playing a melee class, look no further than the Eyeless boss that is part of the Rakul event. You pretty much spend the entire time chasing after this giant creature's ass as it farts green clouds in your face. Your only contribution to this fight is the 7 or 8 minutes of entertainment value you provide the tanks and ranged. Melee classes just aren't my cup of tea, but in Knights of the Fallen Empire, I learned to really like Vengeance Juggernauts and whatever their pub counterpart is. And now with Knights of the Eternal Throne, I've learned to really like Deception Assassins and whatever their pub counterpart is. Now, I'm still learning how to do things when I talk about complexity of rotations. This is the kind of class I'm talking about. 
One of the reasons I love playing an Arsenal Mercenary is the rotation is easy to understand. All but one of their capabilities has a cooldown, and I like cooldowns because it makes it easy to know what I should be hitting and when. It seems like Deception is more priority and proc based. Many of the abilities don't have a cooldown. I mean, you can just hit them whenever. However, if you just hit them whenever, know that you're doing it wrong. So I find there is a bigger learning curve to some of these melee classes than there is to ranged. I also feel like melee classes are subject to more annoying mechanics than ranged. Getting knocked back by a turret comes to mind. As I said, so far I like that class and I'm starting to learn it. It's a stealth class, which is so nice when leveling or out and about doing missions. I haven't tried her in PvP yet, but I so want to do so as it looks like you can wreak some real havoc on folks because of your stealth and some of your other abilities like, you know, putting someone to sleep. So if you're like me and not big on melee classes and maybe haven't tried everything or want to give something a second look, I recommend giving Deception Assassins a try. They're a lot more fun than I thought they would be. So I want to talk about something you might have missed on the forums, and it happened, I think, at the end of July, and that was Charles Boyd's response to a player who asked if we could get Darth Hexed as a companion, and this is what he said. We definitely plan to make Darth Hexed available at some point in the future, we just haven't decided exactly how yet. If you recall, Darth Hexed was one of the potential rewards from last summer's Dark vs. Light event. Since the light side won, we got Master Ranos instead of Darth Hexed. But now it looks like they want to find some way for us to get Darth Hexed, and I'm okay with this, by the way. There's no mention of when or how she'll be introduced, and there are a lot of ways you could do it. You could make her a direct purchase from the cartel market. You could add her as a pack item for an upcoming pack. I actually don't like that idea. You could add her to the new dark side vendor and make her purchasable for tokens and or a combination of tokens and credits. You could add her to the old dark side vendor. You could add her to the CXP vendor and make her purchasable for command tokens or perhaps a combination of both command tokens and credits. You could also just grant her to everyone who participated in the Dark vs. Light event and who qualified for Master Ranos. Uh, you could also just do an alliance alert and make her available to everyone. I don't really care all that much about Darth Hexed. I was one of the light side folks who was working hard to get Master Ranos. And I'll certainly get Darth Hexed when she's added to the game, but as to how and when they decide to do it, I don't really have an act dog in this show. But just be on the lookout and know that she'll become a companion at some point in the future. So now, Darth Hexed was from last summer's Dark vs. Light event, but one of the features that came in 5.0 was a brand new Dark vs. Light system. I haven't talked much about it, and now that we're several months into 5.0, I thought it would be a good time to look at the state of the Dark vs. Light system. And let me start by saying, the state of Dark vs. Light is not great. And here's why. Here's my guide to the Dark vs. Light system. Wait for a victory state, hop on a tune that's aligned to the winning side, and take advantage of the CXP boosts it provides by opening up CXP packs that you've saved up. That is the dark versus light system in a nutshell. That by itself isn't terrible, but the system was meant to be so much more than that. It was supposed to be this back-and-forth, server-wide battle between dark and light. Once a victory state was achieved, then the hunt to track down these dark versus light bosses would begin, and it would be an undertaking by both dark and light-sided players trying to stop each other and get all the tokens and the rewards. It just hasn't panned out. 
I've been in some pretty big guilds and I've only seen a group organize one time to go and kill these bosses. And it was fun. And I'd certainly do it again. The rewards aren't bad. The bosses are a decent challenge. They're worth doing, but people forget about them. And it's a hassle to put a group together to go find them. The bosses and rewards are good, but they're not that good. And you can earn plenty of dark and light side tokens just from doing regular activities. I've gotten most of the rewards without even trying or thinking about doing these bosses. It just kind of happened. So what can be done here? Part of the problem is the bosses are out of sight and out of mind. You just don't think about them. Now, when a victory state is achieved, they could pop up a system message that says strange tremors in the forest are happening on Tatooine or Alderaan. Gather your friends and allies to go investigate. This would remind you of the bosses and tell you where they are spawning. It might spark some people to marshal their forces and hunt them down. Maybe. Since these bosses require groups to take down, you could also add them as conquest objectives. My guild currently organizes groups to take down world bosses that are conquest objectives. I'm sure we'd be likely to go after dark versus light bosses if they were part of conquest. In his interview with Bad Feeling Podcast, Keith Kanig talked about a desire to improve the group finder tool such that you might be able to use it to form groups. These dark versus light bosses are a great example of something that could benefit from this type of tool. If the tool allowed you to start a group or join a group, people would be much more likely to do these types of activities. Imagine opening up the tool, searching on dark versus light bosses and seeing a group that you could join right then and there or starting one and have it fill up right then and there. I think it's something that could help, but that kind of tool isn't even on the roadmap. Maybe it will make it there in the next update. We'll just have to wait and see. But overall, the dark versus light system needs some help. I think the pieces are there. The concept is sound, but it just hasn't come together, and it's mainly due to the dark versus light bosses, and people just don't seem to be doing them. So that looks like it's going to be it for today. Just a reminder that episode 51 won't be here for a couple of weeks because I'm going to be out on vacation, so enjoy Crisis on Umbara and the new Stronghold. I'm going to have to do a lot of internet gymnastics to kind of stay spoiler-free, while I'm away, but I am sure that I can do it, and I certainly can't wait to see the storyline continue in Game Update 5.4. So with that, it is time to cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 50 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe directly to the podcast as well. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Again, look for episode 51 on September 2nd. And remember the Sith code, cake is alive.